back to the back porch. We have your co-host, Cruz Chavez, co-host, Matthew Trollinger. How's it going? And co-host, Micah Bynum. I'm finally co-host? Dude, might as well. All right. I'll <laughs> Everyone take that on here is co-host. We just let everybody be co-host. <laughs> no longer a special guest. Listen, I don't own this podcast. Jesus does. That's how we start this off. That's Amen. right. That's right. Uh, well, what's been going on, boys? I don't know much. I don't know when was the last time I was on here, but dude, yeah, it's been a while. It's been a probably. while. I think the last time I was on here is that time I came up and knocked on the window, and you guys made me come in and spread some knowledge for like <laughs> ten seconds, and I just left. <laughs> dude, that was a while ago. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I know for you, you just bought a handgun, right? I did. <laughs> How's Today. that? Oh, best feeling in the world. <laughs> Never felt happier. Is that oh, your first? That's your first one, isn't it? Yeah. First one. Did you shoot it today at all? No. I'll probably take it out probably next week or the week after. Just whenever I have time. Whenever you get hired on at base, do you think you'll be able to like shoot your handguns there? No. No? No. <laughs> do they have, I mean, don't they do practice, like target practicing or something? We do practice, but we only do it with rifles. Just rifles? Yeah. Okay. Pilots and officers use uh, handguns. Should have been a pilot. Maybe. Maybe, one, Maybe one day. Maybe yeah. one day. What about you, Matthew? Man, I just just been golfing. Looks like you got a tan. Do I? I nah. feel like you guys both kind of looked at me funny when I walked in. <laughs> when I get sunburned or something? No, you look like you had a horrible time. <laughs> you look like you did bad. I didn't do too bad. I'm just, I don't know, I'm kind of wore out, tired. Oh, okay. It's that fun, makes sense. but yeah. No, that makes sense. Been playing a lot of golf. What I've, about you, Cruz? I've been playing a good combination of golf and disc golf. Um, and I'm not going to lie to you, disc golf is way cheaper. Which one's more fun, though? Um, I don't know. Both are really fun, honestly. I think, because I go back and forth on golf, because you go out there and you spend money, and you're, if, you're not as, if you're not good like I am, then you just feel like you wasted money. But then you go play in disc golf, I mean, it didn't cost you anything. That's true. And if you do bad, I mean, you just do bad. So. You just go home upset, and you didn't lose any money. Yeah, didn't lose anything. Well, unless you lost a disc. Yeah, unless you lose a disc. But I haven't lost a disc in a couple of weeks. So we're on a roll here. That's good. As but if matter you got of fact, some of them expensive golf balls, them <clears throat> things cost as much as a disc does, and you almost Dude, guaranteed to lose a golf ball. $3 a ball for some of these uh, golf balls. And then if you buy a used disc, then you can buy one for, what, 10 bucks, Maybe less than that? Yeah, I think Jake got a lot of his for like 5 bucks. Yeah, 5 you bucks. You go buy a brand new Pro V1 golf ball, they're 5 6 bucks yeah, a piece. Yeah, crazy. No way, because I'm, I'm losing that thing. I'm too poor to go buy those balls. I just use the ones I find in the pond. Me too. <laughs> Dude, that's what I do. I'm that broke kid that's looking for your ball, right? <laughs> I am. Fishing in the pond. I am. I'm fishing in the pond. I'm looking in the creeks. I'm digging in the woods. Let people go around me because I'm busy looking in the pond for yeah. golf balls. That's why I have poison ivy all over me <laughs> half the time. Other than that, I mean, things are pretty good. Um, ministry is getting busy with the summer. We've got mission trips. We've got Falls Creek. We have VBS. Um, so summer's just now kicking off, and we're going to start doing this. We're going to meet up at the, at the Roundup Club this summer, this year, and so... Um, I bought a new volleyball net for us. Um, finally went ahead and did that. It took me forever. I'm going to see if Chad can hook us up with some poles and um, basically get fresh poles, fresh net, and have a great summer. Have a nice brand new setup for the summer. Mm-hmm. Just for it to get torn down by some youth kids. 
Dude, I know. <laughs> That's going to be the worst part. But, I mean, the one it's, it's the same one that sat in my backyard for the longest time. And the only thing that got tore up on it was the net. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we got a brand new. We had, Chad gave us a tetherball deal. And we broke, me and Matthew broke that the first day we got it. He <laughs> <laughs> was so rusted over, though. I know. So we didn't have a, I mean, we didn't have a chance. Yeah, that thing that didn't thing have a chance. Was, it was a little rough. Yeah. But we'll get it all fixed up. We've got a brand new pole to put on it, and it's going to be ready to go. Heck yeah. Um, okay, so to kind of pick back up where we left off, we're still in our sermon series um, four fields. We're in week three. Um, the week before that, we went, we went over, I'm pretty sure we went over the empty field, right? Um, and then this, this last week, this last Sunday, we went over discipleship. And so real quick, um, real quick, I just want to read from second Timothy chapter two, verse two, and this is what it says. It says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so that is just the opening verse that uh, TJ led with last Sunday. And it's strictly about discipleship, the importance of discipleship, because at some point in time, you were discipled by somebody, whether you were brought to church by choice or not. Um, or you looked up to your Sunday school teacher, or um, even if it was a PE coach that was a very uh, godly man or godly woman, I mean, at some point you were being discipled in your life. And so discipleship um, reflects, I guess, who we are as Christians as well, because in some way or form, we're all discipling somebody, mm-hmm. uh, whether you're a Christian or not. And I, and I think that's so true. I mean, I went and played disc golf yesterday. I know we were just casually talking about um, golf and disc golf earlier, but I played with this guy named Joey, one of Chad's good friends, and that guy is so good. And <laughs> and his, but it, it was crazy because he's not only good, but he's also a good teacher. And he was discipling me in in disc golf. I mean, he was I mean, every every technique, every different movement, every different you know form. He was showing me, and so in some form or way, we're all discipling someone. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a matter of how are you using your discipleship. And so um, in, in this case, for this sermon series, or for this week three, I mean, discipleship is so important because that's what Christ calls us to do. That's what That was the mission he gave the disciples before he left, you know, go out and make disciples of all nations. What do you got on that, Matthew? I was just flipping over. Did you? Sorry, I had to walk away and answer the door just a second ago. Did you already read Second Timothy? Yes. Mm-hmm. Want me to read it again? Yeah. Okay. One more time. It says this. Uh, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Okay. Yeah. Um, I just want to... You want to just dive in on like how... We disciple and and who we disciple. Yeah. Okay. So the first thing I put um, is the the next generation for who to disciple, because it's it's important for us to teach the next generation and grow this field, which is the growing field. But 
it's important for us to grow that field because if, if we're not discipling to to the next generation, then I mean Christianity will die out. So we we got to make sure that the younger people know what who Jesus is and why we believe what we believe. Because if they don't, if they can't understand the basics of that, then they won't they won't follow follow our religion and continue to to make it thrive and grow. And uh... no, I agree. I think one of the what um, one thing I wrote down here was even if we're the ones just to plant plant the seed, there's someone that comes up behind and who waters. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like oftentimes as a disciple, as a discipler, we get confused with the planter and the person who waters. Mm-hmm. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I want to be be the, the guy that's watering and raising up these kids uh, to know the gospel and and have them be able to t- reteach those things. And I want them to be, to be to be strong Christian like women and men. But that's not always the case. You know, I might, I might get through to one kid or two, kid, two kids on a Wednesday night. Um, but then when you go into your small groups, I mean, I feel like that's where a lot of the watering is. Mm-hmm. And so planting the seed from the stage and then watering happens in the small groups. Right. And, so, and, and it could be the vice versa. You know what I mean? It just all depends on what kid is listening and, and at what point are they listening Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've said this before, there was a time when I felt like I wasn't sure if my messages were coming off clear, like if they weren't being received. And like God gave me confirmation time and time again, like, dude, these guys, these people are listening to you. Mm-hmm. And because I've had students come up to me and say like that, yeah, what you said was amazing. How you, how you said that or how, uh, what you said about this, I mean, that spoke through to me and I had never known until they had said something, they brought it up. And I think in a lot of ways that that's always happening. We just don't always see it. Right. And so we, we just have to trust that whenever we plant, there's water growing or, you know, someone, someone else is coming in behind to water. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think it's powerful just to think about like, like you said, we, you're not going to get through to everybody. I'm not going to get through to everybody. So we're not, we're not going to water everyone seed Mm -hmm. but between say just take a a youth kid for example between their family at home if they're in their word their friends that come to church and are in their word you who preaches to them me who leads them in small group like that's a bunch of of people that they're surrounded by Mm -hmm. that are trying to help fertilize and grow that seed right so i mean it's it's a it takes a, a bunch of people it takes a community effort yeah, because we, none of us can just do it all alone. So, yeah, it's very important for for all of us to understand that that we have to be willing to disciple people and not just oh well, Cruz is the youth leader, so he's the one that disciples, not me. Absolutely. What's your take on that? Kind of kind of goes along with what uh, Matthew was saying. Um, I think it's just important for us to always remember that you know watering just doesn't stop after one day or as soon as you plant that seed, it doesn't just stop right there. Mm -hmm. I think we talked about it this morning a little bit and we'll probably get into it a little bit more, but I remember TJ saying something about how, um, 
in Mark 4, 26 through 29, he talks about the sower. He doesn't just plant the seed and then just leave it and then just walk away. Uh, I mean, it says right here that he checks on it day and night, constantly is watering. And I think that's just something that us as Christians, and us especially um, leading small groups and um, you leading youth, you know, that's just an even more important role for us to be watering every single day to these uh, kids. And even outside of that, you know, we'll have these opportunities where we can share the gospel with somebody that we know. And, you know, if it's a coworker, we're going to see them every single day. And you're not just going to share it to them once and then just say, all right, be on your way. You're going to want to check in on them daily and just say, hey, what do you think? What are you, what are you thinking about now? What do you think of this? You know, Absolutely. we're just going to just count on that. Absolutely. No, I, I love that part uh, where you said that, you know, he's he's constantly coming back to it, constantly like watering it. And he doesn't doesn't forget about you. And um, I just I just love that aspect of God because he's truly the one pulling all the strings, you know, behind everything. And it's not by chance that I'm just a youth pastor here. You know, he he appointed me and he it's not by chance that you two are sponsors on Wednesday nights. Like he appointed you to, and there's a reason why we're all here together, serving as one under one church under one body, and it's because of this discipleship, of how important it is. Because we ourselves were once discipled, mm-hmm. and even now, like we're still being discipled. You know, I'm 26. I don't know everything, <laughs> uh, and you guys are younger than me. You don't know everything. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and so it's just. It's just cool to know that we're constantly being watered. Um, and so that's what I love about God. Um, he just doesn't He doesn't say, okay, that plant has had plenty enough. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, they've had enough. Uh, so, yeah, that, I think that's awesome. Yeah, the next thing I liked in this, this field that we were talking about, the growing field, is uh, like part of that growing is salvation and baptism. But then... Matthew 28, uh, 19 through 20. Um, let me pull that up real quick. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus tells us that salvation doesn't just stop at baptism. Like, mm-hmm. that's part of the growth of, uh, like, you, you you find your salvation, mm-hmm. and then you get baptized, but it doesn't stop there. Then we're supposed to go out and share the Word and make other disciples, and I just, that's, that's uh, moving from that is when we, when we went into Acts, where we mm-hmm. talked about the seven steps of how to disciple. Yeah which I, I thought was really cool because I'd never read that before. I mean, yeah, I've read really. over it, but I never understood what that was saying before right. until we talked about it. So do you want to get into that? Yeah, go ahead. You can okay, take flip it over there. Uh, lead us. What, um, what chapter was that? That's Acts 2. As we're flipping over to Acts chapter 2. And that starts in verse 38, I believe. Yeah, 
Yeah, 38. So 38 is the first one. And it says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that right there is our number one thing, is to teach people to repent and be baptized. Yeah. Because we, we, can't, we can't start any of this and start our discipleship until we admit that we're sinners, repent of our sins, and turn to Jesus and get baptized. Yeah, like how how do you know what to disciple if you right. don't if you yourself haven't if you haven't even taken the first step yeah taking the first step yeah, yeah. absolutely it's, I mean it's like a drug addict telling another drug addict like hey stop doing that <laughs> yeah you know what I mean <laughs> like, okay <laughs> well how, do you, how how did you learn to stop oh I haven't no <laughs> right I have no idea I'm just that's what somebody told me so <laughs> they told me to stop so I figured I'd tell you to stop. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Um, yeah, what was the? So that was the first one. That coming, was the first one. To, uh, repentance. Yep. And then the second one in verse forty-two, it says, "And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and the prayers." So the second one is teaching to fellowship, serve, and worship together. Is what I wrote down from that and that's i mean that that's like our our sunday mornings yeah um sorry i'm going through here going through my notes um they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching uh yes i think in a lot of ways there there are students right now and even young adults who um they can get into the word and they can have repetition and then they are they can devote themselves to it but after a while they like something comes up and they fall out of that mm-hmm. fall out of their routine um <clears throat> but if we if we were to truly devote ourselves could you imagine the kind of christians that we would be could you imagine how much more clear you could hear god's voice could you imagine what your like for me um if my quiet times weren't strong i'm sure that would affect my ability to to teach on stage, yeah, in the same way in your small groups, like if you can't devote yourself to your quiet time and your learning, then how can you be the best discipler that you can be? Right. So I think there's there's a lot of um, there has to be commitment there mm-hmm. to know to know God's word for your sake, but also for the sake of others. Because, I mean, it's, it's twofold there, I feel like. Yeah, for sure. And I like the, the fellowship part of that, mm-hmm. which we'll, we'll get into more later when we talk about the church. But I just, I love fellowship. Fellowship is such an important thing to me. And clearly it is in the Bible, too, because oh, Jesus yeah. talks about it a lot. I mean, we wouldn't have a church today if it weren't for fellowship. Yeah, so. for sure. You got anything on that, Micah? No, I'm going to be honest. I wasn't there last Sunday, so I'm soaking this all up. <laughs> You're just learning right I'm, now, I'm, huh? I'm getting discipled right now. That's, that, that's where Amen, I'm at. <laughs> okay, so uh, number three is I wrote down, teach them to take communion. Uh, we see they, Jesus talks about communion a lot. And that, I'm not sure where the verse is on that. I didn't, oh, there it is. It's uh, in verse 46. It says, 
day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. So that's taking communion. Yes. So that's number three on our list is... is and we'll come, we're going to come back to the communion thing, which we can discuss it now. Um, yeah. But it's also going to connect with, our, with today's message. Um, yeah, I noticed a lot of last week's message connected a lot with today's message. Yeah. And so with, I mean, with, with breaking bread and taking communion, um, it's partaking in, it's, it's partaking in what Christ did for us. It's like, it's not one of those things that saves you, but it's like recognition, mm-hmm. uh, like baptism. And we'll talk about this later too. Like baptism doesn't save you. Only Christ saves you. Right. But it's something that you do in obedience and in remembrance of what Christ did for us. And honestly, I love taking communion because it seems like it's one of those traditions that's passed that's been passed on for generations. And it's being like it's being able to partake in what Christ did thousands of years ago. And mm-hmm. that's I mean, you don't scripture almost scripture almost like talks about, you know, don't let traditions be your religion. Um, but let Jesus be, you know, like your like the reason for your faith and the reason for your belief. Um, and but here we are with with breaking bread, and it's not so much about the tradition. It's it's like I said, it's the meaning behind the tradition. It's mm-hmm. like the same reason why we come together and have a huge service for Christmas and a huge service for Easter. It's a reflection of everything that Christ did. And I mean, the breaking of bread was, Jesus was the one who instituted that mm-hmm. with his disciples the night before his death and how intimate that was. And you're partaking in that intimacy. And so I, I love, I love communion. I do too. Mm-hmm. Especially at my old church, we used to have that Hawaiian bread, with the good <laughs> grape juice. <laughs> Instead of just like a little plastic disc. Yeah, we had, the, we had the good communion <laughs> yeah. back then. <laughs> okay, so the next one, uh, number four, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, is teach them to give and to meet needs. I like that one because I think that um, that's, that's part, part of the discipleship of teaching people how to use their spiritual gifts if their gift is giving. Yes. I think that's important that cuz there's a lot of people out there that that have that gift, but if they don't have someone discipling them and teaching them these things, they might not know how to use that gift. Yes. I mean, if you go all the way to James chapter 5, um it talks I'm pretty sure it's James chapter chapter 5. It talks about how faith without works is dead and mm-hmm. works without faith is dead. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about a guy who didn't believe that Jesus was was I mean James, a guy who was Jesus' brother, who didn't believe that his brother was the son of son of God, which I can see how there would be this huge like like wall I guess between them. Like, could you imagine like could you imagine explaining to Megan that you are the son of God? <laughs> not saying that you are, but just just <laughs> I'm not. I promise. <laughs> I think but yeah I, I see what you mean like it'd be hard a hard thing for a sibling to comprehend and yeah and believe 
But I mean, he—it's not—he wasn't just saying these things by words. I mean, he was proving them. Mm-hmm. I mean, he said, "Look at," he said, "If you," he said, "Believe in the Father. Believe also in me too." If don't, if you don't, if you can't believe in me, if that's not enough, then believe in the works themselves. Mm-hmm. So Christ was literally saying that the works that he was doing were ordained by the Father. I mean, that was the only way he was able to do those things. Mm-hmm. And so here's James who's struggling with the fact that his brother is the son of Christ, his half-brother, regardless, his brother. And um, I feel like I feel like with James, he comes with this boldness because he truly he finally understood what Jesus was saying. Mm-hmm. And not only did he understand it, but he he took on this idea that man, like, I don't want to just be a Christian to say that I'm a Christian. But I want to like what do I what can I do next, right? How can I serve? How can I serve people? Because that was one of the big things that Jesus was teaching mm-hmm. was not just to teach, but to also serve. Yeah, and I feel like those go hand in hand. Like your faith and service, they just go hand in hand. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like your heart is changed through your faith, and you you just want to serve. Yeah. You should want to, yeah. Right. I mean, that's, like you said, that was one of Jesus' big things. Like, look at the the bread he broke and fed how many people. He washed his disciples' feet. Like, those are all acts of service. Mm-hmm. So if if Jesus could serve, why can't we? Right. Why can't we? And I think that's one thing that we're trying to instill in our youth uh, here in Inola. Uh, because it's so easy to get a front desk job and or I don't even say that it's so easy to make to try and go for um, a six-figure job or become some millionaire and like us not do the work we'll just pay someone to do the work you know what I mean Mm -hmm. rather than doing the work ourselves Um, even even myself I feel kind of I can feel kind of silly because I don't know how to change out an outlet and I had Chad come over yesterday to teach me how to change out an outlet. And it's like little maintenance things, like little handyman kind of things that go a long way. Because mm-hmm. if you can learn how to do those things, and I think everyone knows how to mow a yard. I think everyone, not, but not everyone knows how to build a house or how to re-roof a, a home or how to redo a porch. And those are services that, that are in desperate need, especially for that widow who is by herself and she needs someone to help her. Um, like my grandma, my grandma back home in Texas, I mean, she lives out in the country and she doesn't really have, um, young, she has young nephews and I'm not calling them out, but I don't see them knocking on her door saying, Hey, like, what do you need? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, let me help you. And so we're trying to teach our students now, like service goes a long way. Right. And as a matter of fact, you can preach through your service. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you do something for free for someone, if you pay for someone's meal, like you're preaching to them mm-hmm. and it may not feel like it, that goes a long ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know, I might be, I might just be reaching here, but <laughs> I've, I've seen, I've noticed this in my life before, like when you do stuff like that and people, people will say like, God bless you for that and whether you said a word about god to them or not mm-hmm. but it's almost like they just see that act and just know that it's yeah. something special yeah. yeah you know what i mean yeah i know that especially now uh 
since we moved out to Tulsa, kind of like into the downtown area where now we're seeing a lot more homeless people, it became pretty quick in me and Emily's mind that we should be giving way more than we have. Like we sometimes would just give to the church, you know, put it a little bit in the offering box. But now that we see these people every single day, we see at least one or two people on the same corner mm-hmm. every day. And I just, it got to a point where it was like, how many times are we passing these people every single day and we're just not helping? Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where now we're just giving, like, we have it set in our budget. All right, now we're going to put this in our car and every single time we see them, we're going to give them something. Whether we just have leftover food, we just put it in our, put it in our back seat, or we have some extra cash, we'll keep it in our glove box. And it's the same way every single time, no matter who it is. Same same thing every time. God bless you. God bless you. God bless mm-hmm. you. That's like awesome. they obviously see that. Yeah. And especially I remember this this will always stay in my brain and it'll never leave. Um me and my dad, we went and served um at the nightlight. I already yeah, forgot the Tulsa name. Nightlight. Yeah. yeah. Underneath the bridge. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the most humbling experiences I think I've ever had because I remember we were sitting there and we went and prayed over everybody. And they started assigning all the tasks. And I said, all right, who wants to hand out clothes? Who wants to pass out food? And I was just going to go wherever my dad went. And I just remember my head being, please don't be the foot wash station. Please don't be the foot wash <laughs> station because I cannot stand feet. Yeah. Grossest thing. Sure enough, my dad waited until the foot wash station came up. And he's like, all right, me and my son will do it. And I was yep. like, gosh, dang it. But it, <laughs> was so, it, was so, it was so hard at the same time being like, oh, I hate feet. This is going to be disgusting. Yeah. These are all homeless people. But it was so humbling at the like the immediate thought of that. It was just overwhelmed with how like how selfish am I to think that like I'm better than Jesus? Jesus got down on his feet and washed every single one of his disciples' feet, and I can't do this yeah. for one or two people every yeah. now and again. And I, it's probably way better for me because I had gloves on and they what's had crazy. Soap. <laughs> what's crazy about that is. Uh, I'm pretty sure the foot washing station is by far the most popular station for City Lights. I mean, besides the food, because whenever you, uh, they like they like to, whoever donates the food that night, then they're the ones in charge of handing out the food, because it's quite a bit. It's not cheap to pay for all the food. I mean, you're feeding over 300 people, mm-hmm. and it's probably multiplied since then. Mm. And so they're like, they want to go ahead and give you that advantage to go ahead and, and feed the people that you're buying food for, which is cool. Outside of that, like the foot washing station is probably the most popular station for whatever reason. Do you mean for like workers? For... Or for like the people coming? For the volunteers. Yeah. Not the workers. I mean, the workers are, they're at, you have people working the foot washing station and they'll rotate. But the volunteers, that's what they that's what people jump on, which is crazy because just like you said, it's I mean, you're talking about homeless people and if it's the middle of June or July, dude, it's sweaty, it's hot, people's <laughs> feet are swollen and probably got blisters. I mean, it's it, it does get pretty bad. But to overlook those things and say, You're a child of God, I'm gonna serve you because God told me to. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's obedience right there. Mm-hmm. And if you can if you can do that not just with them but with everyone, I mean that's obedience and taking that. I mean I love the fact that you and and um, Emily are putting money like you're factoring that into your budget to give back. Like you don't see that very often, mm-hmm. 
you know, I've seen, I've heard a lot more people say, why don't you just go get a job? You know, you, you spend so many, so much time sitting here on the corner. You could actually be doing that at, you know, clocking in somewhere at McDonald's mm-hmm. or something. I'll tell you what, it's hard. It's hard handing them like a $20 bill or $10 bill, whatever it is. Because at first, whenever we first started doing it, I was like, man, I don't, like, what if they go and use this, like, like once again, this is a very selfish thought, but like, what if they go buy drugs with this? What if they go buy alcohol? Mm-hmm. What if they, all they want is just a bottle of liquor? And they're just going to be happy on the corner getting drunk. I mean, th- that's my money that I just factored into it. But I think what's helping me now recently is, when I'm coming up to that corner, I just know I'm going to see one person at least. I just automatically just start praying. I just say that God, like whatever, whatever money is given, I just pray that it's used, used in a way that can glorify you. It's, it's in their hands. I pray that they can know that this was prayed over and that this is like from you. Absolutely. And they can, they can at least feel that. So absolutely. Yeah. I'm trying to be better about that now instead of just thinking about all the negative and thinking mm-hmm. selfish and thinking this is, this is something that I've, like I'm giving because I feel like it's I'm called to do it, and mm-hmm. by me saying, "Oh no, I can just like instead of budgeting out all this money, we could keep it for ourselves." Like that's just just me being more selfish instead of being like, "There's easily more opportunities for us to be able to spread the gospel just like that." Absolutely, for sure. Yeah, I've I mean I'm I've been guilty of that before too, of just not wanting to give because you think of all those things, but then, I mean, when you really think about it, like, you don't know, you don't know that person's situation. It's easy to say, oh, well, just go get a job. You just stand here all day. But you don't know what they've gone through. You don't know what they're currently going through. Yeah. Like, it's it's hard, but we have to understand that we got to get past that judgmental side of judging someone before mm-hmm. we even know their story. Like, what if right. we, what if we, if we weren't in a hurry to get somewhere, what if we pulled over and just sat down and talked to that person for 10 minutes? Absolutely. And seeing their story, seeing yeah. what they've gone through to get to the point that they're at. Because I'm sure if you ask any homeless person, none of them are at a place they want to be at. Like, that's not where they want to be. Something's happened that they've gone through that's caused them to be in that situation. Mm-hmm. But I just love that, that you guys, you know, help them. And instead of just, you know, turning a blind eye to them or... I don't know. I've I've seen people say just hateful things to homeless people, and it's it's just sad when you mm-hmm. think about it. Like, it is, and, and uh, I want to flip over. Since you say that, I want to flip over to Matthew chapter two. Uh, sorry, Matthew chapter seven, starting in verse two. Um, almost got it here. It says, do not judge, sorry, starting in verse 1, do not judge so that you won't be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measurement you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out, out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly uh, to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them underneath their feet. Turn and tear, turn, turn and 
uh, tear you to pieces. So just based on that scripture, I mean, you can't look at someone and immediately judge them. Because mm-hmm. in turn, I mean, how we are not the ultimate judge. I mean, you can go and look up scripture. You can literally type in Google scripture about judgment or about judging. And it will pull up verse by verse. And it's like how why we're not to judge. Mm-hmm. And it's because we are not the judge. We have one person who, who is in charge, and that's Christ. That's Jesus. And he's going to be the one to judge. We're not the ones to do that. And I feel like, and I'm right there with you, Matthew. Like I, I do the exact thing, same thing. Like I'm quick to make an, an assessment and make a judgment call on someone. But in reality, like we all have our problems, where we all wish someone would just give us free stuff. You mm-hmm. know, like I'm right there with that person. They're just, they're just having a tougher time than I am. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, I thought about this too. Like there's probably a lot of them that grew up homeless and that's all they knew. So they stayed that way. And there's probably a lot of them that were abandoned as children. Mm -hmm. And so like, we have no clue, like you said, what they've been through. They could have been this, they could have been that poor kid in your high school and who was kind of like on the spectrum, so to speak. And they were just abandoned and they don't. They didn't know how to take care of themselves, and no one else was here to show them how to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. And so they end up in Tulsa on the street, begging for money. And so it's really easy to make an assessment, make a judgment. For what though? You know, like there are so many things that, like so many things that I keep hidden in my personal life because I don't want anyone else, anyone else to see. Because if they did, they'd call me out on it, right? Like we're all the same way. Like we all have hidden secrets. We all have like things in our lives that we're not proud of. And so that's why why Christ says, take the beam out of your own eye mm-hmm. because we're all not perfect and no one's the judge. Yeah, I think today we're, we're really bad about confusing the difference between accountability and judgment because we are called to hold each other accountable. Yes. But we're not called a judge, and I think that gets very mixed up in today's world. And I Absolutely. think we're all guilty of it for Absolutely. sure. I think there's a right way to hold each other accountable and a wrong way to do it. Um, I think first you have to let the person know, "I want to hold you accountable," and they have to agree, like, "Okay, I want you to hold me accountable," because if I'm trying to hold Mike accountable to something and he has no clue, and I'm saying, "Dude, why do you keep doing that?" Like, like let's let's try and turn this thing around. You're going to think I'm judging you, <laughs> especially if you have no clue that I'm trying to help you out. Mm-hmm. And so they have, you, there has to be that mutual relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times people do want that. It's just, it's just asking. It's, it's about the approach. Earlier today, yesterday actually, uh, I, said something, I said something in general. It's like it's not what you say, it's how you say it, right? And I think that goes a long ways. Like it really does. Though. And you guys know what I'm talking about. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so anyways, back to where we were at. We're on number six, right? Yes. Teach them how to pray is number six. And I think that's important because if we don't know how to pray, we don't know how to talk to God. And to grow our relationships with God, we got to know how to talk to God. Yeah. So that's a big important thing. Um, do you have anything on that one? 
um, prayer. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you don't know how to pray, Christ tells you tells you how to pray, um, and he lays it out. He he specifically says, "Pray like this," and he lists out the his the Lord's prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I love I love prayer because it is an intimate moment that you get to talk with Jesus. And even if it's in your in-between times, like driving to work, or you're praying before a big tournament, or you're praying on at church and you're partaking in a in a congregational prayer, like I, no matter what it, what it is, I mean, it's a moment to be intimate with with God and give Him our requests. Um, or tell him how we're doing, how we're feeling. Mm-hmm. And I even tell, I told my younger sister all the time, like, if you're upset, like, tell the Lord you're upset. If you're upset with him, tell the Lord you're upset with him and tell him why. Just know that he's listening and he, he wants to hear from you, but know that it's not God's fault. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of times I feel like people are quick to, to, um, to blame God, but it's not his fault. I mean, there are, there are a lot of things that we don't know about God. There's a lot of things that we don't know why, like, those things happen. And we just have to come to terms with those things. Um, but I feel like I feel like the Lord wants to hear from us. And prayer is a, huge, is a huge thing. I mean, it goes back all the way to when Israel was in... I mean, it goes all the way back to Genesis. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, I mean, a specific moment was... When Egypt, or when the Israelites were in Egypt, and they were slaves, and they would cry out to God, and it says God heard them. He heard their cries, and He had compassion on them, and He wanted to do something about His His people, mm-hmm. and He set them free, and so I think that God is always listening, and He always cares. For sure. And then the last one, which is the most important one. I guess you could say. I don't know. What do you think? You think this is the most important one? Which one? Which one is it? Number seven. It says, "Teach them to keep it going." The Great Commission. We got to teach others these seven things. That's the last step. So the Great Commission, like sending, sending out. Yeah, is teaching like that's part. That's the last step to this discipleship is to teach them to keep this going and teach this to others. Because if if they don't, I mean, we can disciple. So I could disciple Micah and teach him all all of these first six, and he might know them great, and he mm-hmm. might be going great in his relationship with God. But if he doesn't know the seventh step of, hey, you need to keep this going. You need to recycle this. Is that the word I'm looking for, recycle? <laughs> Start it over recycle. again. Yeah. yeah. So you like we I gotta we gotta make sure that at the end of our discipleship that we make sure that they understand the importance of them going and discipling now. Yeah. To continue it. Absolutely. Because that I'm just gonna go ahead and say this transitions us into today's message mm-hmm. because it's all about the house church and it's about multiplying the house church. And it's the same thing for any congregation. Like there are there are people in your church that are called who are who are called uprooted and planted probably in Ethiopia or are planted in Honduras or planted in um in uh where are the shanks at? They're in, in Nepal. In, in Nepal or India. Like one of the two. 
Yeah. <laughs> They're pretty close to each other. <laughs> well, they've been to both. I don't know. I where mean, I got a big now, map right here. We can yeah, check I was it out. Yeah, to look. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of words up there. Yeah. Um, but it's like being being picked up and and planted somewhere else. But it's not being ripped apart. It's not. It's not starting a new church. It's it's called multiplication. Mm-hmm. Again, it's not what you say. It's how you say it. And it's about multiplying the church and making disciples. Like if Jesus only taught the 12 and said, all right, boys, that's all you need to know. I'll see you later. I mean, the church would have just died right there with the 12. Mm -hmm. The gospel would have died right there with the 12. If if Jesus wasn't preaching, go out and disciple, go out and multiply, go out and do these things. Gather as many people as you can and gather the lost sheep of Israel. That was the purpose, was to gather his people. Mm-hmm. And then it was, you know, that was that was Jesus's role. And then he, whenever he died, he says, "Okay, now I want you to go and share that with the Gentiles." Mm-hmm. And that's that was the game changer right there, because you're not talking about just a a couple million people. Now you're talking about billions of people for all generations. For sure. And so I feel like that's that's a huge. So I would say yes. I would feel like that's almost the 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 biggest and most important role because now you're teaching that next generation mm-hmm. and you're telling them to teach the next generation. Yeah. Now on the last thing I have on on the growing field is Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And it just gives a little bit of, of hope to that seventh step of teaching how to to start all of this again. And it says and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. It's just a little bit of encouragement there that he gives us that even though this can sound scary to do, like God's given us all the gifts to be able to share his word. Absolutely. He equips us. Mm-hmm. If you have received Jesus Christ, you're equipped to disciple. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter if you've been to seminary. We talked about that today. Like when Jesus approached the Samaritan woman, who the woman at the well, if you if you don't know that, you know, if you don't if you don't know it by that, the woman at the well. Like this woman, she had been married a few times and she was with a guy who was not her husband, so she was most likely living in adultery. And I mean that itself is an, is a big conversation that we're having right now in our on Wednesday nights. Um, but you're talking about a woman who who had just come come to the faith and and say that Jesus the Messiah has returned or the Messiah is here, right? Mm-hmm. And then Jesus says, "Go and share that with your village," and she does. Like she goes off and she starts sharing the gospel with with her entire family. And I don't, I, she might have been sharing it with strangers, you know, if she was that excited. But more than likely, she went straight to her mom, her dad, her brothers and sisters, probably her, her husband, boyfriend, whatever you want to call it. Like she was probably preaching it to everyone. Mm-hmm. And so he doesn't call like the qualified, there, that doesn't exist. If you have been called, you are qualified. If you have been saved, you are qualified. You are uh, you are equipped. 
And that's what we're trying to teach this generation now is like, you don't have to go to seminary to be a pastor. You don't have to go to seminary to start a house church. You don't have to go to seminary to be, um, um, what's it called? A, um, like a missions, a mission, um, Oh my goodness. <laughs> missionary? Missionary. Missionary, yes. I was trying sorry. to think of it too. I couldn't think <laughs> missionary. of it. Missionary. <laughs> like you if you have been saved and you you feel that calling, dude, you've been equipped. That's God's calling on your heart. Mm-hmm. Just today, uh, talking with, with Cameron Reeves, he that man feels called into ministry. And it's not very often that you see guys willing to go out and and, and be willing to to travel and share the gospel. And that's what he wants to do. And I love that because God's calling everyone to do that. Mm-hmm. It just looks different for your life, which is why we're talking about the four fields. Like if you have your, your field is your people, your family, your friends, your neighbors, that's your field. And you've been equipped to do those things if you've received Christ in your life. Mm-hmm. Um. Going into the fourth field, uh, we talked a lot about what the church is. Um, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 41. I'm just going to jump back over there real quick. So what the church is. Starting in verse 41, it says this, So those who accepted his message were baptized... And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. So what is the church? Um, they received and accepted the message and are baptized. Again, we're not, we didn't say that to be baptized, that, that's what gets you into eternity with, with, in, in heaven. Um, but to re- they received and accepted the message. That's what the church is. It's it's those who have who God has elected. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, those who have who have received the calling. Those who have accepted Christ into their heart. If you hear that door knocking, it's Christ, and He wants you to let Him in. I mean, it's receiving that. It's opening the door and allowing Him to come in and eat with you, and dine with you, and fellowship with you. That's the church, and coming together with this fellowship that we see on Sundays and even on Wednesdays, like that's fellowship. That's the church right there. What do you have on that? No, I got the same thing. I, I put uh, people who received and accepted the word, then they were baptized, and people who identified with other believers. And that's that's what our church looks like. Okay. What do you got on that? I mean, same thing. You same can, thing. You, I mean, you can't have a church without acceptance and baptism. I mean... It's like, yeah. what? Like how else? How else would you be able to start a church with non-believers? Mm-hmm. You can't just bring a whole bunch of non-believers together and just say, "All right, start a church." Yeah, like you're the church, like, right? Yeah, you always have to start with one, and then one talks to two, and then two talk to four, and then every and just keeps adding and adding. Yeah, I just think, I think back to when when Christ. I know we can talk about how Acts. You saw the first church start in Acts. Um, which that was after Christ, but it all started with Christ. If it wasn't for Him, we wouldn't have the church. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just think back to man, how difficult would it be to come here and proclaim to be the son of the Son of God? 
Like that would be so tough. That'd be a, uh, that'd be a huge challenge um, for any ordinary man. Yeah. And I mean, he's not an ordinary man. And so I just think, man, like that's like if you've been called and you and it's because you you see God and God sees you. Okay, the second one. Um, where did they meet? So where does the church meet? According to Acts. We're looking at Acts here. And again, here the big idea with today's message is not to call out anyone. It's not to call out um, any church or any organization. Um, we wanted to make it a make it a big point like we just want to worship God. We just want to worship Jesus. Mm-hmm. And this is biblical right here, what we're saying. Um, And so, when did they meet? So, in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 46, this is is what was pointed out. Every day, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from from house to house. And they ate their food with with joyful and sincere hearts. They met every day. Could you imagine, we don't even do that, but could you imagine doing that? Like meeting together every day and worshiping and fellowshipping and like coming together and having dinner Mm -hmm. and getting ready, like preparing for the next day. And that's what we do day in and day out. Falls Creek 24-7. Yeah, Falls (laughs) Creek 24-7. It'd be awesome. It would be awesome. Icy dates, yeah. (laughs) Speedy trips. (laughs) <laughs> Endless speedy trips and Endless speedies ice cream and pizza. Uh-huh. Oh For real. And that they devoted themselves to meeting every day. Mm-hmm. And they met in their house and we'll get to that. That's what I like is I just love the fact that they met in our in their houses. And I love that our church puts such an importance on house churches. Because people who haven't experienced house churches, like, they don't understand. I don't know. Personally, I I feel like I grow, I can grow more in my faith at house church than I do for at an hour on Sunday morning. Yeah. Like, I love the fact that we can just get together in a small group and just sit down and, and study our word. And I like, like TJ was saying, on Sunday mornings, we go and we sit down and we just listen to him talk for an hour. Whereas, like, come Sunday night when we go to house church, we've got all different people talking. We've got different perspectives. We've got different opinions. So we can kind of take all of that together and, I feel like, learn deeper because we see different sides of things instead of just, you know, one voice. Yeah, I definitely do love that because I don't think TJ knows everything. But there's a lot of people in the church that know more about one particular thing than TJ does. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like Todd Dixon, that guy is so smart. Oh my god! And like he knows everything about, uh, like he's really interested in like the whole evolution theory and um, all the other like Big Bang theory, like all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Not saying that he believes in those things, but he studies those things. And then he compares it to what he believes. Right. And what he believes is the gospel. What he believes is truth. And he's able to like tell you word for word how to like battle against someone who whose belief is that, right? Mm-hmm. And so I just love having conversations with him. And we've had the privilege to hear him speak a few times on stage. 
And every time he's blown it out of the park. And he's just amazing. And the same thing with Cameron Reeves. The same thing um, with, um, uh, I forgot hit, oh man, Petty. Like that guy's, some of these guys are like really, really smart. And you get them together in a, in a room. I mean, our conversations are, I mean, they could go on forever. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yeah, and do you want to talk about uh, baptism and communion now? Yes. Since we're, yeah. we're talking about house churches. What are your thoughts on that, of what we, has, from what TJ was saying this morning, a big thing in today's world is people basically believing that you, you can't take communion or baptize people outside of the church building because that's not how traditional church was ran. Right. What are your thoughts on that? Um, no, I think that Jesus broke bread in someone's house, in the upper room of someone's house. I think that there were disciples just right here. It says in verse 46 that they broke bread. Now, were they taking communion? Probably not. They're probably just like eating together. Mm-hmm. But breaking bread and communion, I mean, they still happened in the same place. They still happened in someone's house. Mm-hmm. I think I think we are so quick there to say, no, it needs to happen in a traditional way. Um, but I, I agree with TJ. Like if my family wants to take communion with just me and my kids and my wife, on on a Christmas morning, to give God recognition, then we can do that. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, going back to David, whenever David was fleeing from King Saul and he didn't have anything to eat but the priest the priestly bread, that's all he had to eat. And you can't eat the priestly bread because it's sacred sacred bread. Mm-hmm. It's like drinking holy water. You don't just drink holy water. What's wrong with you? You know what I mean? <laughs> like. But he ate the sacred bread because the priest gave it to him and said, this is all we have. And so Christ was, was and then this might be a different story um, or a different parable, but like law and rules and traditions, they were not made for man. Man was made, sorry, man was not made for these laws and traditions. These laws and traditions, they were made for man. Mm-hmm. And and so breaking bread, like there's no reason why we have to bend ourselves to breaking bread in a church setting. You know what I mean? Or I'll say not in church setting, in a church building. Because that's what you're getting at, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think my easiest way I can think this is, I mean, I, I don't know. I just personally don't see why this is really even controversial because... We just talked about what a church is. Nowhere in there did that say anything about church is a building. So if church isn't a building, why does it matter where we take this stuff? Why does it matter where we baptize? Tell me, if you can tell me what church building Jesus was baptized in, then I'll agree with you that we should never baptize outside of a church building. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that started because if you get to, let's just say like, Let's just say the porch. Like you can't fit two hundred and fifty people at TJ's house. I'm sure we would we could sit outside. I'm sure we could do that. I mean, it worked for uh, worked for a few of these people where they had where they added three thousand people in one day. 
mm-hmm. and that was someone's probably backyard. Um, and you can't fit, and even in today's culture, you can't just fit 250 people in someone's house. If you're, if you're someone who who has an average income, <laughs> yeah. um, and so they just started gathering in one place, and then that one place was like, oh, we got to make more room, so let's add on. Oh, you know what? We got to make more room, so let's just keep adding on, and it became more of a focus of the building than it did the people, mm-hmm. and so and I think that's kind of where it evolves around now. Is like you said. Yeah, and I like what TJ said about um, churches claim they want to reach all these people. But like he said, there's not, even just around here, there's so many people just within 15 miles of our church mm-hmm. that if our goal was to reach all of those people, then you can't possibly do that in just our church building. So yeah. that's another important... In any church building. Yeah, no, there's not a single church building... That could hold Rogers County. Yeah, a hundred and what? Over a hundred thousand people. 100, 000, yeah, I don't yeah. even know how many people is is in Rogers a lot. County. Yeah. So that's the port importance. Like we have to be willing to open our houses if we want to have goals like that. Yeah. We have to be willing to to do whatever it takes to make the room for something like that. Yeah. Because even though we can't fit all those people in one house, if there's a hundred thousand people that have a house. Even if you had say fifty thousand of them, that's two people per house. Like there, you it's definitely manageable that yeah. way. Yeah, and you can reach a lot more people if if people are willing to open their houses and yeah. invite people in. It's it's not any less biblical to take communion in your house. No, than it is than it is to you know take communion on a Sunday morning or even baptize in a church or baptize in your bathtub. I mean, there have been so many times you look at the Ethiopian eunuch. That mm-hmm. wasn't a church building. Nope. The guy got baptized in a creek. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? And it was a random creek. It mm-hmm. wasn't like it was planned. Yeah, he didn't say, well, you got to wait until Sunday and then go. We don't have a church building yet, so go to so-and-so's house and we'll yeah. do this. He just said, no, let's go do it right now. If you're ready, let's do it. Wherever you're at, find some water and go get baptized. <laughs> yes. So, um, so I read where, when did they meet? We read where they met. So they met in house churches. Um, the next one is why does the church meet? So flipping over to first Corinthians chapter 10. Let's see here. First Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 31. It says this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. We do everything that we do for God. We do everything to glorify him. That is our purpose here on earth is to know God and make God known. Mm-hmm. And we give him glory in doing those things. I mean, that's the whole purpose why we meet, why we show up on Sundays, meet in house churches on Sunday evenings, serve on Wednesday nights. I mean, outside of that, there's probably a lot of people who would agree they hate hanging out with high school teenagers because they're immature, they're awkward, you know, they smell, they stink, they they just say dumb stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. Some people don't have the patience for that. But I'd do it. I'll do it gladly. I love hanging out with them. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy doing it. 
and it glorifies God. So it's a win-win all around. And so we, I, I do all these things for the glory of God. And the same thing with my marriage, the same thing with the, my, my work ethic at, at, in Claremore, um, or what I do things around here, like my service, or how I talk to someone, some random person on the street, like everything that we do, it's supposed to glorify the Lord. Mm-hmm. I can't remember, because I'm, I'm using your Bible, but uh, we were just read a verse a while back somewhere else that talked about that, and do you remember where it was? Talked about glorifying God. Glorifying God. Yeah. Um, what was the? There's something TJ read. I can't remember where it was. Was it a verse? Yeah. Let me see. No, all I wrote down was just to glorify God, and then this is our purpose. That's all I wrote. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember. Hmm. What do you got to add on that, Micah? I think just going back to the. To the fact of today's sermon being mostly about church, I think of just obviously our church and how we kind of operate things. And the main point of why did why do we meet is to glorify God. You know, we do everything we can on Sundays. You know, we come in, we worship, we get the message, we leave. Same thing as you mentioned, we do stuff. We have house church Sunday evenings. We serve on Wednesday nights. But I feel like speaking on the church, we do so much in between just those days. Like mm-hmm. just as far as the porch goes, I think we're so much more than just a Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night. We do everything. We help out across the town. I know there's been times where we've helped out with people that, not even, that don't even live in Inola. Mm-hmm. And now we are stepping out and we're reaching uh, different countries. We're, yeah going to different states with our youth group, you know, I mean, that that's all to glorify God, I and mean, there's there's just no simpler way to put it than God really has his hand over our church, and he's really leading us in a direction that we're in the right way for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I like this verse because I feel like that's something that's really easy to lose track of sometimes, especially as much stuff is going on behind the scenes on a Sunday morning. Like, it can get stressful, and it can get hectic yeah. on Sundays. That Most people, like, that just show up at 10 o'clock for church don't even realize mm. all the extra stuff that goes into getting Sunday morning ready. And sometimes it can be easy to lose track of, like, yeah, maybe this didn't go right, or maybe we didn't have this the way it was supposed to be. But at the end of the day, that's not why we're there. We're mm. there to glorify God. Yeah. I think I think this fits in well with this entire servant series just because um, there are times where we can make a quick judgment call on who we want to share the gospel with. Like we, we say, you know, I'll share the gospel with, you know, so-and-so in my church, but I won't share the gospel with my gay cousin. I just won't. You know, we make that quick, uh, that quick judgment call to not share the gospel. But whenever we're obedient and we do it anyways... Like we share the gospel with whoever, then I think there's uh, you glorify God in that because it's it's His command. You have to be obedient to His command. It's to share the gospel with your in your field in your four fields, and it doesn't matter who the person is. It doesn't matter what they look like, what they sound like, who they are, what they claim to be. 
Uh, I mean, it doesn't matter, and you respect them, but here you are sharing the gospel with them, and you love on them. And I think that's so difficult for our generation right now because you have, you have, I'm not going to get political here, or not go too political, but you have the hardcore Republican and the hardcore liberal, and the hardcore Republican hates the liberal, and the hardcore liberal hates the Republican. And you have some Christian, strong, divided Christians who are, you know, voicing their opinion, and it comes off as hatred. Mm-hmm. And I think it's confusing to to me. It's confusing to the younger generation. It's confusing to other people around because, like, we're Christians. We're called to love people, and I and I get we're supposed to also stand our ground at times and. If someone is doing something inappropriate and our little kid is watching, like you want to step up and say something, um, but to be hateful, I don't agree with it. Um, and so I just think there's a weird imbalance in our world right now. Um, and it's because the enemy is causing chaos, he's causing turmoil and confusion. And um, But if you just stick to stick to the simple things and you just glorify God in everything that you do, and even if it doesn't make sense and why why you're why he told you to go and do something, just know it doesn't have to make sense, but to just go and do it. Mm-hmm. It's all for his glory. Yeah. At the end of the day, no matter what it is. And there's beauty in it too, if you think about it. Like even even through rejection of sharing the gospel, like if you're doing it to glorify God, you're still glorifying God even through that rejection. Yeah. Yeah, that's powerful. The last one here is what what does the church do? Okay. So, obviously, we come together, we worship, we fellowship, we um catch up on life, we just do life together. Um Acts 11 flipping over to Acts 11 25 through 26. FYI, TJ spit out like 20 different verses today. <laughs> And yeah, I, I only caught like, like four any of them. Of them. <laughs> he spit them out fast. Yes, he did. I was I had my notes out ready to go, and he said, "All right, we got a couple verses," and he just went boom, 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 boom. I I I got the first letter, of the first <laughs> one, and I was about it. <laughs> so if you guys want all those verses that TJ talked about, you just have to go listen to the sermon. Yeah. I not even I know what they were because he spit them out so fast. I was like, yeah, I can't write these down. <laughs> um, Acts chapter eleven, verse twenty-five. And it says, Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples uh, were first called Christians at oh, Antioch. Sorry, not Antioch. <laughs> Antioch. My mistake. <laughs> you're good. You're good. Um, so I wrote down, so they teach and disciple. Paul would take a year teaching and discipling in one place, and then Jesus took three years to teach and disciple. There are so many times where you're going to be called to, to teach and disciple in one place, and then next thing you know, you're uprooted and taken somewhere else. Mm-hmm. That was Paul's ministry. He was spent a year, two years, three years, sometimes less than that in one place, and then he picked up and moved, went somewhere else. He was a true missionary. And I think in a lot of in a lot of cases we should be that because we shouldn't be bound to just teaching teaching the gospel 
at the Roundup Club just only on Wednesday nights <laughs> in Inola. Like, we're all missionaries called out to be disciples. We're, we're all called out to, uh, to go and teach the gospel wherever you are. It doesn't matter. And in some cases, yeah, he'll send you to Ethiopia or he'll send you to, um, I forgot, India. And I'm just like, you just got to be obedient and listen. What do you guys have on that? I think, I think you hit it right there. Just that's that's just our main job. We we were, even though it was tasked to the disciples uh, in the New Testament for the Great Commission. I mean, we are disciples, so that that falls back on us. Like, you know, it is our job to love God and make Him known, make disciples of all nations. I mean, it's easy to just go out on Wednesday nights and just say, "Hey, youth, you want to." be Christian, let's, let's follow God. But it's even, it's, it's hard to say, all right, well, he clearly states of all nations. So what's stopping, Mm -hmm. what's stopping us from going outside of our comfort zone? What's stopping us from going outside of Inola to all these different places just to make God known? I think that's so powerful. Yeah. What do you got on that? Mateo. Oh man, you guys, you guys hit that really good. I, (laughs) I don't know. I agree. Um, what do you have to add? Do you have anything to add since we're about? Mm, the only thing I'd add to that is that kind of goes with the multiplication aspect of our house churches of we don't, we can't just get comfortable being in the same place for too long because, and we're, our house church is facing that right now. Mm-hmm. Like we know as a house church that we're getting to this point where it's like, Hey, We've grown. Our harvest is plentiful. Now we need to split and start multiplying. But it's hard because, I mean, you you just, over time, grow close. Like, everyone in your house church is like your family. So it's hard to just uproot that and and move on from that, you know? Mm -hmm. It is. It's really difficult. I mean, I couldn't imagine, you know, you, you live with your best friend for so long and the next thing you know, like your best friend lives several states away, and it feels like that at times, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, we've all grown so close together, and I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want. I told TJ that I was like, I wouldn't. I just hate the. I hate the idea of of branching out because if we do, then that means I won't see the Trollingers. I won't see. Like when Jervis and Hallie were here, I won't see the Agulas. I won't see um, Nathan and Nicole and and um, the Bynums. Like I won't see them. Like that's it's kind of heartbreaking mm-hmm. because you kind of look forward to Sunday nights, right? And then starting from scratch, for one, that alone is already kind of scary. Um, but you just wouldn't want to do that. But yet there are people in our lives that need to come to house church, that Mm -hmm. need to be invited. And if there's no room for them, then, like, we're not serving our purpose to the fullest. Right. We're doing them a disservice by by not being obedient and opening Mm -hmm. more. I mean, that's just like we were just talking about earlier, about we can't say we want to reach all these other people but not be willing to make room to reach other people. Right. There there does come with, like, some sacrifice. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's not like we won't ever see each other again. And I think that's the biggest challenge because we'll, we still go to the same church. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure we'll still play golf together. Yeah. I'm sure nah, we'll. I don't know about that one. 
them. <laughs> okay, maybe we'll go shoot some, you know, guns again. Okay, yeah, no, I'm okay with that. <laughs> but to yeah. tie that all back in, it's not about us. Yeah. Because the glory goes to God. Goes to God. Amen. What a great way to end this. There you go. We're going to end it right there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anything else to add. You got anything else? No. That's all I got. All right. Thank you guys for joining. If y'all have any questions at all, uh, please feel free, feel free to reach out. My contact information is on uh, the Porch Inola's website. Uh, you can always reach out to me or TJ. That's where all of our sermons are posted. Uh, feel free to like, share uh, this podcast series sermon to whoever needs to hear this. So appreciate you guys for listening. We'll see you next week. Adios. See you.